Welcome to the Cafe Radio Podcast, a collaboration between the Office of Cable Television, Film, Music, and Entertainment, and the Congressional Award Foundation. This podcast is intended to help students through the opportunities the Congressional Award Program offers and provide information on how to explore the Congressional Award Program's pathways to career goals. And now, here's your host. Hello, welcome to Cafe Radio. I'm Sophia Monroe from Deanwood, and I'm going to be one of your co-hosts today. Hi, I'm Sally, and I'm from Deanwood Radio Broadcast Program, and I'll be your other host. All right, now let's meet our guest, Bonnie Lay. Bonnie Lay is originally from Los Angeles. Bonnie now lives in Seattle, where she's held multiple positions within Microsoft. In her current role, where she works on the environmental suitability team, where she focuses on corporate environmental strategies. This career path stems from her love for biology and for her to want to make an impact through conversation. Before Microsoft, she trained as a conservative biologist in which she was recognized as a National Geographical Explorer for her work in environmental education. Previously, she helped initiate the Marine Program for Wildlife Conservation Society in Myanmar, discovered a new sea slug species in the Caribbean, and researched climate adaptation of endangered penguins in South Africa. Bonnie received her BA in Organismic and Evolutionary Biology at Harvard University and was an inaugural Schwartzman Scholar at Tsinghua University. Today's topic is career growth in sustainability practices with our guest, Bonnie Lay. Bonnie. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Celia and Sophia. It's such a pleasure to be with both of you. Okay, so I'll start with my first question. So between all the locations you previously lived in and Boston, Myanmar, Los Angeles, Seattle, and South Africa, which one would you say was the most important for your field in sustainability? Yeah, that's a really good question. And if I could cheat, I would say, of course, all of the above. I think each of the experiences and each of the places that I had the great privilege of getting to work in taught me so much um, and was really influential to the development of my thinking of how to advance um, environmental sustainability work. I think um, I I will make a special comment uh, on one, which is Myanmar. Uh, My grandmother actually is originally from Myanmar. She's Burmese and left the country um, many decades ago. And it was such a privilege to get to return to her home country during a really pivotal time in 2015 when the country was just starting um, a shift away from the military junta role to to a democratic future and getting to getting to learn not only about my own family history, but also to be able to work in the country as it was starting to chart its future, thinking about development opportunities um, for its people, but also thinking about preserving its natural resources. I think it was so much learning that I was uh, that I was able to do on the ground um, by being being directly um, in in the land of my ancestors. That's really cool. Wow. Amazing. Well, I think my first question would be in, you know, just your background in general. It's just amazing. The whole path. I would love to know what attracted you to this career path that you are now. 
Yeah, yeah. I think it the, the really simple answer is when I was really young, um, I grew up in the Los Angeles area, like you mentioned. And ever since I was a little kid, my absolute favorite thing to do was to be able to go to the beach and poke around in the tide pools. Like other kids might be running in the waves or making sandcastles. I was I was going around and I was so curious about all of the little critters um, that lived in, under the rocks and in the crannies. Uh, and I think that early curiosity um, really translated later in life as well, where I was uh, so, so interested in how the natural world worked um, and functioned and had that curiosity and so always wanted to, to learn more and figure out why. And so I think all of those components led me into uh, being being interested in science and wanting to pursue a career in science and wanting to work as a conservation biologist. Um, and it was those opportunities to be able to work directly in the field and research in Myanmar and in many of the other places that you mentioned uh, uh, that I think I started to realize that not only was it important to work in science and be curious as a scientist, uh, if I really cared um, about these beautiful natural places, um, and cared about the interactions um, of these natural places and people uh, and all of that interconnected um, web, then it was really necessary to work uh, not only in sustainability science or conservation science, but also think about what are the ways that I could take action um, and help preserve these beautiful natural resources far into the future. And so that sort of is, I took a number of different steps um, there beyond science to think about what are the ways that we could work on developing the right conservation programs um, when I was working with the Wildlife Conservation Society um, and to now working at Microsoft and thinking through what are the ways and the roles that corporations can play to contribute to this more sustainable future as well. That was really nice. Okay, so for leading into my question, I also had a question about your job at Microsoft because as you said, it's an electronic company. So I was wondering like in like, like, as you know, society is more open to like conversations about sustainability and like the role that corporations have on our environment. So what is your job at Microsoft? And like, what is what like when you were hired by Microsoft, what was your main goal to, you know, help the environment? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, Sophia. I think for for me, uh, it's again, it was quite uh, quite a different step after working through. I was quite literally sort of you know running around various jungles, chasing after penguins. It was a very different life um, that I that I used to have when I was working as a conservation biologist. And all of a sudden, I was working um, in corporate America and walking down fluorescently lit hallways and looking at laptops. And so it was it was quite a shift. Um, but I. I think for me, uh, I, I recognize that working in conservation and working towards sustainability is super interdisciplinary. It requires being able to know how to um, think through the implications and the roles that all different sort of players um, can, can have. And so that, that was um, what was really a driving factor for me is at that point, I had worked um, in nonprofit organizations. I had worked in academic research institutions. I had worked um, on some interesting environmental startups as well. Um, 
but I hadn't had the experience of thinking through what could a large company um, actually do. And so that, that I think was one of the first motivating factors for, for why I was interested in thinking about uh, the role that corporations could play in sustainability. And I was specifically really excited about Microsoft um, because I was joining uh, on a very specific and special program called AI for Earth. Uh, it was so exciting to get to be part of that founding team. And that whole program was focused on thinking through how can we use machine learning and artificial intelligence technology at cloud scale to be able to solve environmental challenges. So really thinking through what is that role that technology can play to be able to accelerate um, some of the ways that we could better model, measure, measure and monitor our natural systems and figure out ways that we could work on managing them so that they can be preserved into the future. And so I think that program specifically of AI for Earth was just something that was really near and dear uh, to a lot of the things that I cared about. And I think I recognized from my period previous experience working, working in the field that we absolutely need to be really innovative and think about some of the ways that we could bring new solutions um, to the sustainability space because the, the environmental degradation was increasing at such, such a rapid rate that we want to think about what are the ways that we could really address that. And technology was a really interesting tool to be able to, to leverage. Okay, well, we're going to have more to talk about with our amazing guest, Bonnie Lay, right here on Radio Cafe. We're going to be back in a few minutes. Stay tuned. Neil Armstrong waited six hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And even DiCaprio had to wait 22 years to win an Oscar. You can wait until your destination. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Cafe Radio. I'm Sally from Dean Will Radio Broadcast, and my co-host here is... Sophia Monroe. And we have our amazing guest, Bonnie Lay, on here again. Uh, for those who are just checking back in, Bonnie Lay origi is originally from Los Angeles. Uh, Bonnie now lives in Seattle where she has held multiple positions within Microsoft. In her current role, she works in an environmental suitability team where she focuses on corporate environmental strategies. This career path stems from her love for biology and also for her to wanna make an impact through conversation. Before Microsoft, she trained as a conversational biologist in which she was recognized as a National Geographic Explorer for her work in environmental education. So much again. Thank you again, Bonnie Lay, for joining us for this amazing conversation. Thank you, Salih. Glad to be with all of you. All right. So my question is, sustainability is a really broad term. Um, how would you define sustainability? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, again, great question because we see the term sustainability popping up uh, more and more. Uh, and what does that, what does that actually mean when you, when you break it down? Um, so the way that I think about sustainability um, is, is actually quite broad. It's thinking through how can um, human populations um, exist in a way so that we can continue to coexist with the other animals and plants and other species um, on our planet and do so in 
a way that we can continue to coexist far, far into the future. Um, and I think another important point um, to bring up as well, which is related to my new role at Microsoft working on our environmental justice strategy, is to recognize that we don't um, want to over-index or focus only on planets. We do want to consider that people element as well recognizing that when we're talking about trying to achieve a more sustainable future, we also want it to be a more just one, that the negative environmental impacts um, has definitely uh, been more negatively impactful on certain um, communities and certain countries than others. And so as we're talking about all of these um, different solutions and innovations and initiatives um, we want to run, that they also are going to help address those, um, those inequities at the heart and root of our environmental challenges as well. Wow, amazing. So, you know, just in, in this conversation piece in general, there are a lot of, of discussions going on about the environment, global warming, whatever. So for the listener who may not be um, in tune with the lingo, can you describe, could you break down and elaborate what environmental justice means? Because I've never heard those two terms before, but it sounds something that's very enlightening and something that maybe we all should learn about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so environmental justice uh, is a movement that was um, started and is really looking at bringing um, light and working on bringing solutions to the fact that, number one, environmental challenges, um, the, all of the negative environmental impacts, you could think of uh, pollution, you could think of climate change impacts, um, those are impacting those that are already the most underserved and under-resourced the most. And so examples you could think of um, include communities um, of color in the United States that are experiencing the highest levels of air pollution, for example, or that they have the lowest access to urban tree cover, um, as another example. And so I think on one hand, you have the negative impacts that are more uh, more strongly um, impacting the, the communities that are already under-resourced. And on the other side, as we're talking about um, how do we want to get to a net zero um, future uh, is a term that's use um, or a more sustainable future. Um, in, those, in those cases, uh, you also have an inequity um, in that balance where the job opportunities and economic opportunities that open up tend to be, again, focused on the communities that are already better resourced and the opportunities are not as open or as um, provided to those who are under-resourced. And so when you see um, both of these factors um, operating where more negative impact are concentrated and um, in, in one place and the opportunities are concentrated in another place. You could see how you will, if you let factors run on their own, you're only going to see a widening gap um, in inequality over time. Uh, thank you for that. That's amazing. Alrighty, so my next question is, what is the future of sustainability? So for me, I really love sustainable fashion. I'm even wearing something thrifted today. So I really want to talk about more like what you do in your life to be sustainable. Ah, yeah, I think for for me, and I, I think for for all all of the uh, listeners out there, um, there's definitely actions that we can take in our daily lives um, that will help us um, in thinking through how to how to be more sustainable personally. Um, so I need, I know one thing for me uh, is I grew up in a low income immigrant family, and from when I was very young, I was always taught to waste nothing. <laughs> it's always about uh, you know we, we didn't have uh, much access to to money or resources 
resources. And so we didn't have the luxury or the ability to let um, food go to waste, for example. Um, and so this is still something that I, that I do to this day, where if there are events that I am at and I see food being wasted um, or, or about to be wasted at the end that's not consumed, I bring Tupperware and I, uh, and I try to save that food. Um, and so there's like th- little things like that um, that will just allow for a shift in mindset um, for for each person to think through what do I actually need and how do I make the most um, uh, use of what it is that that I have um, access to. Wow. Amazing. So and it's so interesting that we're having such a interesting dynamic conversation on both sides of what you're doing and, and what you have done. I would love to go back to, you know, even in your bio, it talked about how uh, you did research climate for endangered penguins in South Africa. Now, for me, South Africa is a warm place. Penguins, you normally think of colder environments. You just explain to us the dynamic of penguins being in South Africa in a warm climate and why you thought it was important to be an advocate for that. Yeah, yeah. So there's actually, there's many different penguin species um, distributed around the world. And so there's some of the the, the big sort of like the, the emperor penguin, if you're thinking of the march of the penguins or sort of like happy, happy feet, the main characters, um, those penguins are, are on Antarctica. And so that sort of, I think, is like most people's thoughts when they want to picture a penguin is where they go. Um, but there are certain species um, that actually are found um, in, in latitudes that are close to the equator as well. And so African penguins is one species um, that is found outside of Antarctica um, as well. And so that's the species that I was studying when I was in South Africa. South Africa is the southernmost tip of the African continent. And so that is the, the portion that is closest to, to Antarctica as well. And so it's actually, when you look at the distribution of this penguin species, it actually um, makes sense that it's not that they're they're hanging out in the rainforest, for example. And so very much uh, within penguin range. Um, and I one of the the difficulties for that these uh, that the African penguin species was experiencing with an increase in climate change is that the land temperatures were getting really hot, um, and penguins penguin bodies are adapted to be able to survive on really cold glaciers and in really cold water, um, and so they're very blubbery and have all of those adaptations um, to be able to survive in the cold. Um, but now because the Land is heating up so fast. Um, the water actually is heating up is heating up more slowly than the land is, and so when they're in water, it's fine. But they need to return to land um, to be able to mate as well as lay eggs um, for future generations of penguins. And so when they're on land, they're actually overheating, and when they experience heat stress, then they would abandon their nests, um, and then the eggs, when they're unattended, actually would die. And so when the species is already really endangered. If the future generations in the eggs um, are are dying, then it's it's going to be really cataclysmic for for the species as a whole, and so. That I think, like over overall, was again personally just such a amazing experience to get to live on an island off the coast of South Africa, where the largest breeding population of African penguins was located, and get to work, uh, get to live and work directly next to them. Um, but also is really um, important research as well to be able to better understand as we are experiencing these higher um, temperature extremes with climate change and all of these um, weather. Un- 
anomalies as well. Uh, how are how are species being impacted? Um, what do they have the capacity to adapt to, and what do they not have the capacity to adapt to? Wow, amazing! Well, if you guys are listening, we have the amazing Bonnie Lay here. She's insightful, she's informative, and she is educating us big time. Uh, there's going to be more to come, so please stay with us right here for Radio Cafe. The Congressional Award Foundation is the United States Congress Award for Young Americans. Since 1979, the Congressional Award Foundation has been providing opportunities for young people to unleash their potential by achieving personal goals focused on volunteerism, character development, fitness, and how to explore pathways to career goals. This podcast is a part of the Congressional Award Foundation's initiative to reach more students of color and make an impact in the community. The programs feature graduates of the Congressional Award Foundation who share knowledge with students about how participating in the Congressional Award Program changed their lives and served as an invaluable tool for supporting students in educational and career-building resources to catapult professional growth and careers. This program is open to all youth in the U.S. between the ages of 14 and 24, regardless of ability circumstance, or socioeconomic status. Set your goals. Work towards your goals. Receive your award. Move to the next level. For more information about the Congressional Awards and the Congressional Award Foundation, visit congressionalaward.org. Hello, and welcome back to Cafe Radio, where we have the amazing guest, Bonnie Lay, today, where we're having this amazing conversation on career growth and suitability practices. And uh, she's also, for those who do not know, she is also a Congressional Award member and winner. And uh, one thing about this program that we're talking about is the vast opportunities that this program arise. So we're going to let Sophia jump right back in as we finish this discussion. Um, so you, Bonnie, you said that you completed your undergraduate education at Harvard, which congratulations, that's very cool. So I'm also going to be a college student in the fall. So how do you think that the Congressional Award helped you during your time in college? Yeah, I think for me, one of the one of the major components of the Congressional Award um, that that actually was helpful, not only in college, um, but afterwards in life was as well, um, was helping you set a series of goals in different areas of your life and then working on tracking and making um, incremental progress along the way towards them. Um, And I think that's, again, very useful um, in college and and even now uh, many, many years out of college also to be able to take that moment to pause, reflect on what is important to you um, and be able to set those goals for yourself and learn how to keep yourself accountable to them. Um, And I think one one really good example is uh, in in the Congressional Awards, one of the categories is on physical fitness and health um, and making sure that you you maintain that. It is one of the... I recognize it as one of the first things that goes when you get busy with studies or with work. And that's always, you know, like, oh, right, I'm going to forget to go to the gym or, um, uh, or, or set yourself uh, whatever physical goal it is you want to achieve. Um, and that was something that that I had reflected on um, more recently and realized, you know, like I, w- I did a much better job uh, when I was in high school and working on the Congressional Award. Um, and I chose my goal at that point to, to work um, on developing my skills as a dragon boat racer. Uh, and it's been, it's been 10 years like, since high school. I hadn't done dragon boat racing at all. Um, and at the end of last year, I picked 
picked it up again for the first time here in Seattle. I'm actually going to my first Dragon Boat race tomorrow, which I'm really excited for. And it was fantastic because again, set a goal, go to practice regularly. Um, and it's been, it's been a great um, accountability uh, tool. Amazing. Uh, you know, the, the great thing about the Congressional War Program is that it kind of varies through all 50 states and everybody has different backgrounds and then they end up venturing to other things. I would love to know, how did the Congressional War prepare you for the role that you're doing now in your life? Yeah, so I think um, I think for me, uh, one of the one of the activities that I had done in the congressional award as well um, was focused on on environmental work, and so uh, one of my activities uh, was focused on developing as a researcher and in. Uh, when I was in high school, I was working on studying sea slugs um, and pursuing independent research at a lab. And I think part of that process also was really sharpening my thinking um, as a scientist of really having, um, approaching the world with an inquiry-based mind. Um, and that continues to be really useful now as I'm working in my sustainability career, um, being able to have the scientific grounding to be able to pursue um, pursue the work, um, as well as being able to continue uh, continually questioning um, that. I think the other really um, important component um, is really recognizing that, again, you have such diversity across the congressional um, award participants um, and getting to, to understand all of the different stories um, and the different paths people, is taking, people are taking. And I think that that continues to be so important in recognizing all of these different perspectives that people are able to bring and the different skill sets that people are able to bring um, together as you're sort of like knitting, um, knitting all of that, uh, which definitely in the sustainability space that I'm working in, but also um, in, in many other industries and areas is so important to be able to have that capacity to be able to understand the perspectives um, and the viewpoints of people who are coming from, from different backgrounds. Wow. All right. My question is about um, Singlon University. You said that you won an award as a Schwarzman Scholar. Can you explain what that is and how do you think that the Congressional Award, it kind of like contrasts since they're both awards, but like you won one later in life and you won one earlier in your life. So tell me about that. Yeah, so I was able to do uh, to study for my master's degree at Tsinghua University, which is um, in Beijing, China. Um, and I was really lucky to get to be part of the first um, the inaugural class of Schwarzman Scholars to be able to, to study there. Um, and the Schwarzman Scholars program is a little bit different um, in the sense that it is a master's degree program um, that brings together students from all around the world uh, and brings them to China to be able to study together. And I think one of the reasons why it was particularly interesting to me was um, a lot of my education or my like starting from kindergarten all the way through college um, was based in the United States. Um, and again, great education system, a lot, um, a lot of benefit that I um, that I had being able to go through. Um, but also really important to recognize it's not again the only way of thinking. Um, and 
I knew already that I wanted to work on environmental issues, which requires the entire globe, all countries around the globe to come together to be able to work on solutions. This isn't like a country by country problem. Um, and so I thought there would be a lot of value in being able to understand how environmental issues are going to be perceived and approached um, from a completely different viewpoint. Um, and China is, is indeed a very different uh, viewpoint. And so uh, getting to getting to spend that year in China um, through that Schwarzman Scholar Program was really impactful in helping me understand that Chinese approach to environmental issues, um, but also in being able to uh, connect with that part of my cultural history as well, um, where a lot of my family is from China. Wow, amazing. My last question would be, what advice would you give to any future congressional award participant or congressional award winner? What advice would you give them uh, through this journey through the congressional award? Yeah, I think one of the one of the best um, parts um, of getting uh, getting to uh, work towards a congressional award was again that freedom and that ability to chase something that excites you, that you're passionate about, that seems interesting to you, um, and be able to really pursue that, um, not sort of like just dabble in it, but really just sort of really immerse yourself um, on that topic. And that's something that I hope um, all, all of you will continue to, to take on um, in your life beyond the award as well, is being able to be passionate and curious and weird if that's if that's what strikes your fancy um, and really really take that as far um, as you would like to. Bonnie, thank you so much for being such an amazing, insightful, informative guest. Really, this has been amazing. Let me just say thank you first. Yeah, thank you, Bonnie. Thank you. Yeah. Thank uh, you both so much. It's again such a such a pleasure to, to get to be with all of you. Right. And, and and thank you for all the amazing information that you shared with the listeners and the future Congressional Award winners. And we want to thank everybody for listening today to Radio Cafe. I am Sally Williams, Dean with Radio Broadcast. My co-host right here is Sophia Monroe. And we're going to tell you guys to have an amazing day. And thank you for listening right here on Radio Cafe. You've been listening to the Cafe Radio Podcast a collaboration between the Office of Cable Television, Film, Music, and Entertainment, and the Congressional Award Foundation. For more information about the Congressional Award Foundation, visit congressionalaward.org.